Thank you. It's Black History Month, and we are ready for you to hear some of the world's greatest pastors. Today, we are featuring Reverend C.L. Franklin, the father of the late Aretha Franklin. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Check it out. Just as a compliment to this title, The Meaning of Black Power, we will refer you to a passage which reads, And Ethiopia shall stretch forth her wings. In his book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos, Our Community, the beloved and lamented Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. tells us of a story of the beginning of the slogan, Black Power. James Meredith had just been shot outside of Memphis, Tennessee. as he attempted to lead a march through the state of Mississippi, beginning at Memphis and ending at Jackson, Mississippi, the capital of the state. After getting the news that Meredith had been shot, Dr. King, Stokely Carmichael, and Floyd McKissick met together at Memphis and agreed that the march would continue. That it would be sponsored jointly by CORE, SNCC, and SCLC with the understanding that all other civil rights organizations would be invited to join. It was also agreed that they issue a national call for support and participation. Dr. King further says, as the days progressed, debates and discussions continued, but they were usually pushed to the background by the onrush of enthusiasm engendered by the large crowds that turned out to greet them in every town. <clears throat> he said he, we had been marching for about 10 days when we passed through Grenada, Mississippi on our way to Greenwood, Mississippi. Stokely did not conceal his eagerness to reach Greenwood, for this was SNCC territory, in the sense that the organization had worked courageously uh, during the turbulent summer of 1964. Dr. King continues, as we approached the city, Large crowds of old friends and new turned out to welcome us. 
As a huge mass meeting uh, was held that night, which was held in a city park, Stokely mounted the platform. And after arousing the audience with, power, with, with a powerful attack on Mississippi justice, he proclaimed what we need is black power. Yes. Willie Ricks, the fiery orator of SNCC, leaped to the platform and shouted, what do we want? The crowd roared, black power. Again and again, Ricks cried, what do we want? And the response was black power. And that response grew louder and louder until it reached a fever pitch. This was the beginning of the slogan, black power. I know that this particular expression has disturbed a lot of people, but I don't think if it is understood in the right context, if it is interpreted right, there's nothing wrong with black power any more than something any more than there's nothing wrong with white power or Jewish power or Polish power. So Greenwood turned out to be the arena for the birth of, black, of the black power slogan. The phrase had been used long before by Richard Wright and others, but until that night, it had not been used as a slogan for the civil rights movement. Black people who had been crushed so long by white power and who had been taught that black was degrading it had a ready appeal. Dr. King goes on to say, black power is now a part of the nomenclature of the national community. So uh, to some, it is abhorrent. To others, dynamic. To some, it is repugnant. To others, it is exhilarating. To some, it is downright frightening. To others, it hurls a new day of unity for black people. Since black power means different things to different people, and indeed being essentially uh, uh, being essentially an emotional concept uh, can mean different things uh, to the same person on different occasions. 
It is impossible to attribute its ultimate meaning to any single individual or organization. One must look beyond personal style, verbal flourishes, and the hysteria of the mass media to assess its values, its assets, and its liabilities honestly. First, it is necessary to understand that black power is a cry of disappointment. The black power slogan did not spring uh, full grown from the head of some philosophical sage. It was born from the wombs of despair and disappointment. It is a cry of daily hurts and persistent pain. I don't believe I have anybody here to pray with me tonight. For centuries, the Negro has been caught in the tentacles of white power. Many Negroes have given up faith in the white majority because white power with total control has left them empty-handed. So in reality, the call for black power is a reaction to the failure of white power. It is no accident that the birth of this slogan in the civil rights movement took place in Mississippi, the state symbolizing the most blatant abuse of white power. In Mississippi, the murder of civil rights workers was a pastime. In that state, more than 40 Negroes and whites were either lynched or murdered during a period of three years. And not a single man was punished for those crimes. More than 50 Negro churches were burned or bombed. Yet the bombers walked the streets surrounded by a halo of adoration. This is white power in its, more, in its most brutal and cold-blooded and vicious form. I wished I had somebody here to pray with me tonight. When we think of black power, we think of the black man having face. In the American translation of Psalms 42 and the 11th verse, it is written, Wait thou for God, for I shall again praise him. The salvation of my countenance and my God. The word salvation of my countenance bring to mind the Chinese phrase, 
saving face. The contrast between the two methods of saving face is a suggested one. It symbolizes a choice in motives, in living which essentially all must make. A chief end of man in China is to save face. It dominates the smallest actions in personal relations and the most momentous procedures in diplomacy. Men live under the shadow of a hunting fear of the loss of prestige, position in the eyes of others. Uh, everything, even life itself, is sacrificed to face saving. But it is not confined to China. Bertrand Russell says, truly, in the daily lives of most men and women, fear plays a greater part than hope. They are more filled with the thought of the possessions that others may take from them than of the joy that they might create in their own lives and in the lives with which they come in contact. Here in the Psalms is another kind of say of face saving, which makes a vivid contrast when placed beside the withering obsession for prestige and appearance. Wait for the Lord. He is the salvation of my countenance. That is the real saving of face. The redemption of a life from the domains of fear into that of hope and trust. We have our choice whether to devote ourselves to pitiful saving of face or transforming salvation of continents through faith. All thinking people would agree that black power is psychological and it is a psychological call to manhood for years the black man has been taught in America that he is nobody that his color is a sign of biological depravity that his being has been stamped with an indelible imprint of inferiority, that his whole history has been soiled with the filth of worthlessness. All too few people realize how slavery and racial segregation have scarred the soul and wounded the spirit of the black man. The whole dirty business of slavery was based on the premise that the black man was a thing to be used, not a person to be respected. A thousand times a week, the black man in American slavocracy heard 
the words nigga, no count, no good. He was told even by so-called white preachers that he was designed by God to be a hewer of wood and a drawer of water and that it was a sin to desire to be free. But the old Negro preacher told the slave, you are not niggers, you are not slaves, you are not hues of wood and drawers of water, you are God's children. Walk the earth as bold soldiers and wear the world as a loose garment. You are God's children. Therefore, when we think of black power, we think first of the black man recognizing himself as a man and as a child of God made just a little lower than God and crowned with glory and honor. I don't have anybody here to pray with me. In the book of Genesis, the first chapter, and the 21st and the 27th verse, it is written, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, in his image, God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. And it can, it can be rightly added, brown and yellow, black and white, created he, them. On Mars Hill, the apostle Paul said that from one source, from one common stock, from one blood, God made all men to dwell upon the face of the earth. It was the apostle Peter who famously declared that God is no respecter of persons. Therefore, when we think of black power, we think of the black man recognizing himself as a child of God and a member of the human family. Thus, we do not think of black power as black nationalism, for that means pro-black. It means the same thing that the southern white man means. It means his nationalism is pro-white. So we are not stretching the meaning of black power to mean black nationalism. We mean something altogether different. We mean recognizing ourselves as men. 
We mean recognizing ourselves as children of God. Ah, on a banjo, the great African scholar takes the position that many of the black nationalists who are angrily demanding a further separation of the races in America have black faces but yellow hearts. They are black on the outside. But inside, they have a yellow streak. As the saying goes, a mile wide. To quote Lewis Martin from an article in the Detroit Courier, Doc, Dr. Arnold Banjo insists that some of these black nationalists are suffering from a deep and sometimes subconscious feeling of inferiority which they are trying to cover up with tough talk and wild rhetoric. He insists further that they are running away from, I'm going to be through in a minute, they are running away from competition with the white man. Or more specifically, trying to escape intellectual competition with the white man. The nationalists do not, uh, do not object to competition with the white man in the areas where they feel confident of their activities or abilities. Dr. Anabanjo uh, further insists and cites that most black nationalists will uh, readily accept competition with a white man in the field of athletics yes, or even in the field of sex yes. for he feels more confident in these areas you're not praying with me their sense of inferiority shows its face however when the competition involves a contest between white and black brain in short when it comes to matters of muscles, the nationalists are full of courage. Yes, and when it comes to matters of minds, the, na the, the nationalists show signs of cowardice. Yes, but it has been undeniably proven that the Negro can compete in the field of brains. Yes, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, Dr. or rather Thurgood uh, Marshall, one of the members of the United uh, States Supreme Court, Robert Weaver, Walter White, Adam Powell, Dr. Lawless, Scores of other men, Dr. Benjamin Mays, Richard Wright, Langston Hughes, and thousands of other Negroes have stood up ably and competed with other men, no matter what their color was, in the field of brains. I wish I had somebody here to pray with me. As Christians, 
We are committed to integration. The first Christian church was an integrated church. The church at Antioch was integrated. Uh, it regarded persons as persons. In that church was Barnabas. Uh, in that church was Simon called the Niger, the black man, and Lucius of Cyrene, who was also an African. Uh, it was an integrated church, and therefore it regarded persons as persons. Black power means to be regarded by all men as God's child and a man. When we think of black power, we think of footing. And when we think of footing, we think of financial resources to achieve economic strength and economic security. It is reported that although the black man is still at the bottom of the economic ladder, his annual and collective income is upwards of $30 billion today. This gives him a considerable buying power that can make the difference between profit and loss in businesses. I'm gonna soon be through. You ought to pray with me a little while. When we think of black power, we think of black people working together to achieve political and economic strength, to achieve their legitimate goals. In his book, Tell It Like It Is, Chuck Stone says, we must have more marches. We must march every day right down to the city hall and register and become voters. If you march and you are not a registered voter, you are a phony. We must march every day for jobs, hammering away at the iron curtain of racial exclusion, uh, with uh, which so many companies and industries in our city and country uh, have lowered between us and complete, you understand, security. We must march every day to protest and protest and protest until our cities and our mayors decide uh, there's no place any longer in our society for bigots in our midst. We must march every day to protest of the black ghetto of houses which stunt the healthy, the healthy flowering of our children. We must raise every kind of legitimate and constitutional hell. Uh, we can until America recognizes that all Americas, 22 million black men, women, and children were created equal in the eyes of God.
I'm going to let you go when I tell you this. I'm going to let you go when I tell you this. In summary, I would define black power to mean we must know that we are God's children. If there's somebody beside you asleep, wake them up and let them hear the sermon. They need to hear it too because they don't know too much about their own history. Somebody said, if you want to hide something from a Negro, put it in a book. If there is any meaning at all to black power, I said and I repeat, in summary and in definition, we mean we must know that we are God's children. Proud black men and women, creative, resourceful, productive, working for unity among ourselves with a sense of political, social, and economic responsibility. Black power is we must control our own destiny. Ah, we must control, that is, our respective ghetto communities. By that I mean, we must own the property in the area where we live, instead of merely written it. This is my definition of black power. Own the property, rather than rent it. We must control the businesses in our communities. You don't hear me? Uh, we must control the education in our communities. We've got to stop this foolishness of uh, feeling that other folks good are better than black folk good. We must, we must grow out of uh, going to another place because the other people can sell it a nickel cheaper. That makes you too cheap. For one nickel, you are selling your self-respect and selling the jobs of your sons and daughters. I wish I had somebody had a prayer with me tonight. We must control the businesses. If black power mean anything in our communities. We must not only do that, we must control the education. You got to hear me a little while here. We must control the education in our communities. I don't mean just teach. I mean control from the Board of Education who make the policy for what goes on in the Negro community. You don't hear me? We must learn to control the banking in our community. We must put our money in black banks. 
for no bank can exist unless it has federal backing and federal insurance. No matter whether it is black or white. In as much as the white bank doesn't have anything but federal protection. And the Negro bank must have the same thing by law. We must control the banking in the Negro ghetto. That is not all. We must control the police who police in our communities. I don't mean just riding scout cars. I mean to get up there with the commissioner where the decisions are being made as to what police will do. We must control the police in the black community. We must control the jobs. You don't hear me? Uh, we must also control the garbage. Uh, uh, removing uh, facilities and the people who work in these areas. Because you don't realize it, but the moving of garbage involve billions of dollars. You don't hear me? We must control construction in our community. We must build the buildings that are being built where we live. You don't hear me tonight. We must learn to respect and trust one another. I better say that again. But this is one of our main handicaps. We are suspicious of each other. The white folk taught us to fear and distrust and be suspicious of each other in slavery. Uh, they put the black Negroes against the bright Negroes. And uh, they put uh, the poor Negroes against the better to do Negroes. And uh, they put uh, the town Negroes against the country Negroes. And uh, they taught us uh, to disrespect uh, and be suspicious, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the southern Negroes against the northern Negroes. Oh, Lord. So uh, we've got uh, to grow out of this mistrust and out of this fear. Oh, Lord. We've got to learn to be men and women of respect and of trust. You don't hear me tonight. We've got to learn, oh Lord, if we cannot trust one another, who can we trust outside of God? Oh Lord, but did you know that trusting God is trusting one another. Did you know that loving God is loving one another? Oh Lord, and we got a long way 
to go in this connection. Oh, Lord, for we still have hangovers of fear and distrust. Even in the latter 60s, even in the 19th century, oh, Lord, let me tell you one thing. Did you know in my conclusion, oh, Lord, I understand the men who dedicated themselves to help us accomplish these things. Oh, Lord, the men that lead in these areas have a lonesome travel. They have a lonely vigil. Oh, Lord, for we are so, so indifferent. We are so far from being dedicated. And we are so callous about progress. And the man that takes it upon himself has a hard time. Oh, Lord. Well, I stand Jesus in the garden that night when he said to those people who were with him, he himself had a dream and he wanted them to share that dream. He wanted them to share their dedication. Oh Lord. And he said to them, as he went out to prayer that night, can't you watch with me one hour? Oh, Lord. But when he came back, they were all sleeping. Sleeping the sleeping of callousness and indifference. Oh, Lord. I understand the long vigil of London. Thank you.